Dominion is the reason for man on earth. Catch insights from Pastor William Baxen on today's Rulers World broadcast and be activated to rule and subdue the earth. Let's thank the Lord for the opportunity to gather and for him to speak to us and minister to our hearts. I want us to just thank him and bless him and acknowledge his presence in our midst, the presence of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the atmosphere of Jesus. The atmosphere of Jesus. Mandos Kimbra de Gadaba. Oh, Braskibaya. Lingron Dombra, Vrengrandam, Broscombra, Diasembrentos, Combra, Vradi, Grashata. Limbron Dombrandingran, Dingra, Zombrandingran, Dembrendes, Opus. Ligron Dose, Predigra, Davasetus. Libra Dagadosh, Mendevra Dingradas. Oh, we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hallelujah. Please be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Yeah. I'm persuaded that God will speak to you this morning. God will speak to you this morning. And I believe, I trust that what I'm going to share with you will bring a certain courage, a certain conviction, a certain persuasion, you know, to carry out God's plans, God's will, and God's purpose for our lives. Hallelujah. I think somewhere last week, last week, yes, somewhere last week, I think, after the morning prayers or so, I was, I was lying here. I was lying here and I was just, you know, that tongues that you speak when you want to sleep. <laughs> you know, there's some tongues when you speak, you sleep and you want to sleep. <laughs> that one, you just, you just be dozing off. But there's one tongue so you can't sleep. No, no matter how sleepy you are, <laughs> you know. So I was speaking that the sleepy tongues. <laughs> Thank God I wasn't <laughs> as high as Uticos was, because maybe I would have just, <laughs> you know. But then I was I was sleeping and speaking in that tongues, and then I saw in a vision pastor sitting here, sitting this way, and you know, resting like this. And then he called me and and he told me to teach on Sunday. That was last week. Yes, last week. He told me to share something, I think. I was like, ah, what? Okay, what do you want me to share on? And he said something that blew my mind. He said, the atmosphere of Christ. So he said, the atmosphere of Christ. I think in the vision, I was surprised. And when I woke up two hours ahead, <laughs> so I was like, the atmosphere of Christ, the atmosphere of Christ, what is it? And you know what God does? A lot of times when God gives you a revelation or an insight, it, it, it comes like a package, a box. It just comes like a word. But in trying to understand, you realize that you just keep ransacking the thing and it's not finishing. You are just pulling, pulling out. So one word and there is so much depth and insight in it. You know, so if not for that vision, I would have spoken of, Pastor almost changed my mind to speak on repentance. I almost... I almost was going to talk about repentance when Pastor was exhorting us, but I think for that 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 vision we will endeavor <laughs> the atmosphere of Christ. We will endeavor that, and it is not exhaustive because if we are going to talk about the atmosphere of Christ, we should cover the spirit of Christ, the mind of Christ, the body of Christ, the wealth, a lot of things. But I don't think we can do that, and we don't have so much time. Yeah, so wherever we get to, we will pause, or we'll, and then the Holy Spirit will carry you along as you lead. Hallelujah. All right, so we want to look at Christ because Christ is central in the administration of God's rule and government. And that is that elevated, you know, state, place, thought, mindset that God wants all of us to be at. So I want us to attempt that that this morning, and uh, uh, let's look at maybe First Samuel two, verse. 
verse 10. Verse 10 is what I'm interested in. First, I'm all to verse 10. It says, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall, the, shall he thunder upon them. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. It says, the Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. And he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Hallelujah. Say, he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So you see that kingship and the anointing is mentioned in the same breath. He will give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Hallelujah. Now, I'm sure we are all aware of the backdrop of, of, of this verse of scripture because it begins with the story of Hannah and how, you know, she sought for a child, you know, and uh, the, the rivalry that she was engaged with and uh, her, her desperation, you know, to, to have a child of her own. And the Bible says that she was praying. She was praying. She was praying. She was praying the kind of prayer that you won't sleep. You know. She was, even though it wasn't loud, it was intense. She was praying. And then the, the high priest Eli saw that and asked, inquired, and said, Look, the Lord has heard your request. But there's something interesting that she did. She said that if God gives her this child, he was going to dedicate the child back to God. You see. And she was engaged in prayer. And it's, it's as if that, that moved God. Because a lot of times when we are praying, you are just looking for answers. Maybe you don't have money. God, answer this need and get so that I will get money. You don't have a husband. God, answer this need so that I will get a husband. You don't have a job. Answer this need so that I will get a job. You don't have a child. Answer this need so that I will get one. But beyond God answering your requests, what God is interested in is having you. And that is what prayer actually is, or prayer does. So even when you come into the New Testament, the, the, the most common word used for prayer, you know, apart from the prayer of thanksgiving, the most common word used for prayer, prosec, means somebody who is very close, face to face, fellowshipping and communing with one. That's prose. And the other part means a vow or someone who makes a vow. Because in those days, when somebody was making a request to their God, they make a vow. If you do this for me, I will give you this. Or I will do this. Do you see? Just like Hannah did. So in prayer, what is actually happening? with that understanding when prayer is mentioned in the New Testament, is, is talking about someone who actually makes a vow and a dedication to offer himself to God. Because that is what God really wants. Not just to answer your prayer. Because once God has you, the request you are looking for will follow you. And that's why it says, seek first the kingdom and all these things shall be added unto you. So when this woman was willing to offer what God wanted, was willing to give, because God has needs. He needs men to execute his rule on the earth. So once he had someone who was willing to give her that, you know, once he got that, her request came, and she even had more children after, afterwards. I think about six or seven more afterwards. You see, so that is what God is interested in. God is interested in having people who will execute his will on the earth. So it's not just about God answering your prayer. That, that's not it. He wants you. So prayer is that opportunity that affords God to have you and possess you. So that you can, you can become a vessel that God will use. You know, in modern day Christianity, a lot of people are interested in what God will do for them rather than what God wants to do through them. You see, so what God is interested in is what he will do through you and not just what he will do for you. You see, so when you read the synoptic gospels, as much as 
you are blessed by the people Jesus healed and you want him to heal you, as much as you are blessed by the people that Jesus ministered to, be inspired to be like Jesus, whom God will use to bring that help to that to those who are in need of it. Do you see? So this is what Hannah was doing. And God answered more than she expected. Because all of a sudden, the spirit of prophecy came upon her. So beyond the child that she was looking for, God put his words in her mouth. And she began to speak about God's intentions, God's plans, God's eternal purposes for the ages. She began to prophesy it. And she began to speak it forth. You see, and that is what, so in, 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 in engaging God, that is what, where God wants you to come to. That you become his mouthpiece. You bring his counsel. And in all of scripture, this is the first time that the anointing is used directly as a prophetic reference to Jesus Christ. You see, in other times, it is used for the priests and people that were anointed. But here, it is directly used in prophecy about a king that will come and reign. You see, so that is what God did with this woman. She spoke of things that was beyond her. And even her child that came was a type of Christ. Because she fun- he functioned in the office of a prophet, in the office of a judge, and in the office of a king. Sorry, office of a priest. Office of a priest, you see. So she comes and she brings us this revelation and insight that there, there will be one who will come and judge the adversaries of the Lord, bring judgment and execution to them. And he says that he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn, the power, the authority of his anointed. And this was realized in the life of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus became the Christ, the anointed one, he was a king with strength, one whose horn whose authority had been exalted above every other and she spoke of that so when we talk about the christ what should come to your mind is an anointed king actually a king priest you see and that's why david prophesied he said he said his his high priest is according to the order of melchizedek in psalm 110 verse 4 it's a call to be high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Because Melchizedek was a king and he was a priest as well. So when we think, when we talk about Christ, we are dealing with one who has been anointed to be king. One who has been strengthened to be king. And one who has been anointed and exalted at the highest office, the highest rank to administrate the plans and purposes of God. So whenever you are reading the Bible and you see Christ, let this come to your mind. Because when the Jews were thinking of a Christ, they were thinking of somebody who will come and rule and reign over them. So if the Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory, for example, that means that you have become the temple where God has come to establish his throne. And in God's mind, he wants to rule and reign through this vessel. You see, so, and in fact, in the Old Testament, the temple was not just a place of worship, it was a palace because it, it hosted the throne of God. You see, so when you read in Second uh, Thessalonians, for example, uh, Paul was talking about the abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke about in Daniel 9. And then he says that the Antichrist will come and then he will come and make, proclaim himself to be God in the temple. He said that's what he will come. And Antichrist means not only somebody who is against Christ, but somebody that wants to take the place of Christ. So what he seeks to do in that time is to enter the temple and sit on that throne and say, I am Christ, I am the God. I deserve worship. You see, so that means that when the Bible refers to us as the temple of the living God, we are God's palace. You see, where he comes to sit enthroned. And through you, from your spirit, through your heart, through your life, he wants to reign and rule. Execute his reign, his judgment, his justice through you. So when, for example, you read in Numbers that they are carrying the ark of the Lord, you know, they are carrying it with all, you know, the badger skin and all those things covering it. They were, out, they, they were carrying their flagstaff house. 
Wherever they were going, they were carrying it. They were carrying it. And that is what God intends to do with us in this dispensation. That wherever you are, you are the flagstaff house of God being carried to work, being carried into the church or being carried into the plane. You see, and as believers, we need to imbibe this awareness and this consciousness. And that's what the Holy Spirit does by leading and guiding us, by speaking to us. You see, no wonder somebody wanted to curse, uh, what's his name? Uh, the man Balak hired, Balaam. He wanted to curse the children of Israel and said, I hear the cry, the shout of a king among them. Because they were carrying the palace. And the king was crying in their midst. There is no way you can curse these people. You see, and that is the truth about your life. So when you look at yourself, when you look at yourself in the mirror, see yourself as a palace. See yourself as an administration where God is reigning and ruling through. You know, you are an embassy of God. That's, that's what he wants to do. And, and Hannah captures that prophetically, beautifully in this scripture. So that now the king has been enthroned in you. That's why Paul said he was praying that Christ, that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. He will settle down and make his, his room. He will have the whole house to himself. That he will dwell in your heart by faith. No other, no, nothing will take the place of Christ in your heart. In your being, in your mind. Hallelujah. So when you think of Christ, think of God's government. Think of God's reign. Think of God's rule. Hallelujah. And that is where you have been admitted. That's why the Bible calls us kings and priests. He has made us unto God kings and priests. And he said, we shall reign upon the earth. That is your lot. Hallelujah. All right. Let's look at um, Exodus 30. I think Exodus chapter 30 verse 22. Exodus chapter 30, verse 22. He says, Moreover, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take thou also unto thee the principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels. And of cassia, 500 shekels. 500 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. And of olive and hin. Or of olive in hin. The olive was in the hin. Hallelujah. Now, what constitutes the Christ? You, 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 we, we say Christ and his anointed, isn't it? Huh. So what, like you know in the Old Testament, prophets, kings, and priests were the ones that were anointed. So when we are dealing with the Christ, we are dealing with the anointed one. We are dealing with one who has been anointed, one who has been consecrated, one who has been set apart to bring God's rule and God's reign in a space. Hallelujah. And so it is of necessity that as a Christ, as one who is ruling, you are ruling as one who is anointed. And this morning I brought to you good news that you are anointed. You are anointed. You are anointed. The Bible says that the one who has called us and has anointed us with you is Christ. So you know sometimes when you see somebody, sometimes in the body of Christ we confuse the, the, the anointing with the grace gifts. So maybe when you see some great, great gifts in massive manifestations, like, mm, this person is too anointed. And you, you are not seeing much, so you think that you are not as anointed as that person. But he says that the one who has called us and has anointed us. Paul was saying, the Corinthian church that we're misbehaving. He said, God has called and has anointed us with you. Even in their misbehavior. Hallelujah. So please give us that scripture. The Bible says that, the, 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 the God commanded Moses to do a special ointment, a special anointing that he was going to use to anoint uh, the high priest and his sons. So you see, 
Aaron and his sons. So in the anointing, in making Christ the Christ, it's not just him, it is Christ and his sons. His sons are the priests. So those of us who are king priests, it means you are anointed. Hallelujah. The Bible says, take thou also unto thee the principal spices of pure mare. So these are very precious spices that he asked him to take. And then they were going to mix it and compound it into an ointment that he calls according to the art of the apothecary. So this actually was a perfume. Do you see? And he says that they should take pure mare. Mare is a very expensive and rare, you know, substance or spice that was used. And in fact, even in understanding what mare stands for, you know, you get mare as a, like a, a liquid from piercing a tree, you know. So it's from the head of a tree that that substance, that mare was coming from, you know, that to tell you that it speaks of the death of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Uh-huh. So the mayor was coming from that. And when you read in John 19, you realize that Nicodemus, one of the things that he offered for the ointment of the body or the anointing of the body of Jesus Christ was mare and aloes, you see. So mare was used for embalmment, was used to embalm the death or the dead, you see, so in this, in this scenario, in that compounded anointing, what he's speaking about is the death of Jesus Christ. Actually, the victory of his death. You see, so when you see mare as, a, as a, an ingredient in this compounded anointing, we are dealing with the victory of Christ's death in Christ. So when we talk about Christ, we are dealing with his victory over death, that which had plagued humanity from Adam. He's He's dealing with that victory over death. And he deals with the mare. And that's why when the, 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 the wise men came by the revelation of Daniel to Jesus, one of the gifts that they brought was mare. Because they knew that according to the prophecy of Daniel, he was going to be cut off from his people. He was going to die. And so they brought that mare. In fact, those men, by prophecy, gave gifts that Jesus required for his whole life. So, mere speaks of the victory over death. So, when we are dealing with Christ and his administration and his rule, we are looking at God's victory over death. Over death. God's victory over death. God's dominion over death. Hallelujah. Doesn't this excite you? His victory over death. You, you realize what happened with, with, with Samson. The Bible says he, they gouged out his eyes. They took him to the temple. They made mockery of him. And the Bible says that what? He, he, he was led to the two pillars, you know. So strategically he was positioned. And then he began to push with all his might on the pillars. And the life of Samson actually captures the death of Christ. So as he was pushing, the image he was painting was Christ was pushing like that. Christ on the cross. And you know what happened? The Bible says in his death, he slew more the Philistines than even in his lifetime, in his death. That means even when Jesus lived on earth and he was healing people, he was helping people, he was raising the dead, he, he couldn't achieve it in the maximum you know, force, in, the, in its full extent until he died. So the Bible says, if the princes of this world had known, they would not have crucified the glory. So the devil was pushing him. We have got him. We have finished him. He didn't know that he was pushing. He was actually precipitating his demise. Because in his death, he destroyed everything that death stood for. The Bible says he took, he partook of the same. You know, the children were of the flesh and blood, he partook of the same. That through death, he might destroy him that had. So according to that scripture, the devil no longer has the power of death. And so he can't use death to threaten any one of us. He can't use it. It doesn't matter whether they, if you dream and you are being carried in a casket, the interpretation is that you are dead in Christ. It's not that you are going to die. It's not that you are going to die. He can't threaten you with death. If you understand this anointing, this Christ, this atmosphere of Christ is an atmosphere where death can't come. It's, it's, it's an atmosphere that is not afraid of death. The Bible says he went through death and then he delivered all who through all their lives were subject to the fear 
of death. They were subject to the bondage of the fear of death all their lives. And he's still doing that with ignorant people. You know, but the Bible says that he has prevailed over death. He says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Do you see? So even though they were going through too much trouble, even though they were facing death all the time, Paul said, I die daily. They were looking to this as those who had been anointed with Christ. And he said, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Hallelujah. Please, let's go to, to the next verse. So you see, when we are dealing with the atmosphere of Christ, like I mentioned, this, this thing that we are describing is actually a perfume. It's a perfume. It says they should do it according to the art of the apothecary. That means it's perfume. That means these are the fragrances that your life is supposed to emit. That your life is a testimony of the victory of Christ over death. Your life is a testimony of the victory of Christ over death. You know, Jesus was entering death and then he did, you know, he, 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 he was contending because it's like death means he has been separated from his father and he didn't want that. But once he, he, he accepted that, Lord, your will be done because what I'm coming to do is going to bring liberty to everybody. The Bible says he went, he, he, pray, he stretched in prayer. The Bible says being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. I'm asking you, when you are in pain and when you are in difficulty, what is the response that comes out? Because once you know the outcome of the victory, you go to the, the full hall. The Bible says he prayed the more, and the, it means he was stretched to the, like a tennis, he was like, like, like an elastic band. He was stretched to the, to the fullest. But guess what happened? When he got up to face death, the Bible says the soldiers came to him and they said, where is the Christ? They couldn't find Jesus among the disciples. So we needed some, this man has eloped, he has swerved us before. <laughs> so we don't want the situation where he, you know, the, the chameleonic abilities of Christ will find expression again. He will go through them in Nazareth and find his way. So we want somebody. And you know that what that says? He, Christ so wants to blend with us that when he looks, you, you can't, it will be difficult because we all look like him. That is his goal. That we have so blended with him. It will be difficult to fish one out. You know? And then they said, who is this Jesus Christ? He said, I am. You know, I am he, but he is in the italics. He actually said, I am. That means I'm the God who revealed myself to Moses. And the Bible says there was a surge of power that hit them backwards. And they fell down. And what marvels me, what blows my mind is how they had the effrontery to get up and arrest him again. <laughs> how they had that, you know, that hood that spa to, to lay hold on Jesus again. But there was so much power through that prayer and that stretching that was released that even in Mark chapter 14, the Bible speaks of a certain young man. He just strayed into the scene and the Bible says that he was monitoring what was happening. Like, what, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And then the disciples fled when they tried to arrest them. Before they realized, this young man with linen wrapped around, what is he also doing here? The Bible says the young man approached him and held him, and then they took the linen, and then he was stripped naked. The question is, nobody in Israel dresses like that. You don't dress wearing linen, naked, wrapped with linen. You don't dress like that. You see, but the linen that was used to wrap Jesus is the same linen it talks about there. That means... Even in that state where he was about to fade, the power that he generated that night brought the dead back to life. Because in that site, there were graves there in Gethsemane. It was close to a cemetery, a, a burial ground. So there was so much power generated that even the dead, he resurrected back to life and he wanted to know that. Whose voice did I hear? Because he says, in the, the dead shall hear my voice and they will rise up again. He says, whose voice? Well, he was just, even the disciples around, he was still looking. Looking, 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 until they were going to apprehend him. And that is the kind of power. That is the kind of grace, the kind of anointing Jesus entered death with. Because the Bible says that he, 
in his death, he was offered by the spirit. You see? And so sometimes when you are going through challenges and difficulties, even to find that expression, that fragrance of the mare, you just have to really, really press. That it might be difficult, but I'm stretching myself. And I'm releasing power. The same power that led him into the, his death resurrected somebody back to life. So you are, you are going stretching, pressing, 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 pressing. The Bible says he prayed earnestly. You are pressing. That's the same word used for the church in Acts chapter 12. And the Bible says that, and the church made prayer without ceasing. The same word. They, they realize that, no, you have got James. We can't allow you to take Peter. So we are tre- stretching to our limit. They made prayer without season. And I like that construction. They made prayer. You know how the Bible says that no weapon fashioned against you. They fashioned the weapon in that prayer. There are, there, are, there are certain prayers you are actually fashioning. You are making something. You are making a missile. You, are, you know, there are prayer because when James died, they were praying. They were, the culture of the church was prayer. But that is your normal prayer, you see. But this one, when they said, that, no, we have a target. Let us come together and let's formulate one weapon we can use. The Bible says they made prayer. They made it. They made prayer. They made prayer. So even if it looks like you are going to die, you can't die. When you understand this, you can't die. Even if it looks like you're on your deathbed, no way. Victory over death. Victory, that's the anointing. That's Christ. That's what he stands for. That is what his reign and his rule stands for. Victory over death. And the Bible says that 500 shekels of that and then sweet cinnamon. And sweet cinnamon was another beautiful spice that was used for medicinal purposes and for healing. And it also speaks of the love of Christ and his consecration. One who was set apart. You know, and even in his death, we see that manifestation, his love, his, his consecration, and one who emits health and healing. You see, so in the life of Christ, he was emitting a fragrance to God. The Bible says that how God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed. He said, the anointing is upon me because the Spirit has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. So even in, in this Christ, in this administration, healing and health is yours. Healing and health is yours. Just because, you know what the Bible says? He says that the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life. You know that scripture, sometimes in the New Testament, you see word spirit, and it's hard to tell whether it's your spirit or the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says, your body is dead. Your body is dead. So if he's saying your spirit, even though the Holy Spirit is in your spirit, he's talking about your spirit now. That even though your body is dead because of me, your spirit, because of righteousness and the impartation of the life of the Holy Spirit into your life, he says your spirit is life. Your spirit is life. You know? So just like the Bible says that the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmities or his sicknesses, we need to engage our spirit. So it, it might be tough on your flesh. It might be tough on your body, but you are engaging the spirit for the life in your spirit to affect your body. You are engaging it. And sometimes people die because they, they are just broken. He says, a crushed spirit who can bear. Nobody can bear. Neither can your body bear. So once your spirit is crushed, then your body dies. So this, this, is, this is being admitted. And then he goes on to talk about the Kalamus. And the Kalamus is speaking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because it was a herb that was very, you know, it grew under difficult circumstances. Under, you know, mushy areas, muddy areas. And yet, no matter how the condition was, it will project out of the ground. And he says, this spice is also in talking about the victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's also in the anointing. It's also in the anointing. Hallelujah. And then he finally talks about the Kesia. Hallelujah. He talks about the Kesia. And the Kesia was, 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 interestingly, a spice that was used to repel serpents and insects. 
That means by the anointing, no fly. You know the Bible calls uh, Beelzebub the, the, the Lord of flies. The Lord of flies. By the anointing, no fly of the devil should be hovering around your head. That means by this anointing, you have, you have defeat. Satan has no right to toy with you. It repels satanic maneuverings and activity. It repels it. By the anointing. And then the Bible talks about the olive oil. Now, when you even look at the, the amounts that were ascribed to, to them, because you see 500, you see 250 shekels, 250 shekels, and another 500. So all of it was 1,005. Even that, because in usually three speaks of divinity and the trinity. So when you look at the middle one, which is the second person of the trinity, he is split into two. 250, 250. He's split into two. That talks of his death, and yet it talks about the measure of divinity and humanity. Divinity and humanity merge. So the 250 and the 250 speaks of the humanity and speaks of divinity. So in Christ, what God wanted to achieve from ages past, from eternity, was where God will emerge, man and God will emerge to reign and rule. And that is what Christ stands for. And that's why when we talk about the body of Christ, it is you and Christ and his anointing and the spirit merging together to reign and rule. That's it. It's a measure. So it is an invitation into the Godhead. This is something that angels, it baffles their minds. The Bible says these things, they look into it because they they can't think far. (laughs) There is a measure. So, we are, when we are looking at the Christ, we are looking at him. You, you, are, you have been partnering. It's a partnership with God. Humanity and divinity has been merged together. You are not in it alone. You are not in it, in it alone. And that is why if you look at this anointing, if you look at this Christ, the Bible says that it flows. You know, in, in, he says, behold how good and pleasant uh, when brethren dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment. You see, so unity is like the ointment. And one of the things in the atmosphere of Christ that should be is unity. Unity, and I don't have time to go into that, so please go and do research. <laughs> so it's unity. But what that means is that we need, there, there's a, a certain, you know, co- coherence, co- coalescing, joining together with Him. So when we are looking at the rule of Christ through us, you, you can't be creative, you can't just get up and do what you want. You see, you need to take orders from the throne. You take orders from the throne because it is a throne that is administering you. And so you are inquiring from the throne to know where, where is the direction. Where are we going? Where are we moving to? What are we doing? You take, and that's why he says that if there is any challenge, come boldly to the throne of grace. That we will obtain mercy and find grace to help because it's from that place that is being administ- administered. You know, the, the Hebrews, the, the Jewish people, you know, Paul called them babes in Hebrews chapter 5. So it was difficult for them to relate with some of these spiritual truths. So when you read that scripture, it looks as if, you know, you, the throne is there and you are coming there. But if you actually situate it in the reality of Christ, the throne of grace, where mercy is, is proceeding from inside, so when you are praying, it's not, you are not looking around. You are, not look, you are looking at what the Holy Spirit is going to hint on the inside. What grace is coming from inside? What direction is coming from inside? What move is coming from inside? You are just looking at that. So you are not looking at the outside. You are just looking inside. You know, and this is what the apostles understood. And there was no stopping them. The Bible says that Jesus showed himself alive to them by many, they realized what happened with Jesus. And they realized that ah, the guy actually died, oh, and he has resurrected. The Bible actually says he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. That means you will be convinced by what Jesus shows you. You will be persuaded by what he shows you. These people that were afraid, these people that were running in their boots. He showed himself alive to them by many. John said, that which we heard, 
which we've seen, which we've looked upon, and our hand, they handled him, and they realized that this is not a phantom, this is not a ghost. We are holding somebody who has actually resurrected by many infallible proofs. And guess one, one of the infallible proofs, one of the infallible proofs that Jesus showed them was eating food. <laughs> he, was, he was eating food. He, he ate broad fish and bread as one of the proofs that he's alive, that he's not a ghost. He, he ate good food. In fact, he prepared food. We don't know where he got the fish from, but he prepared food for Peter, Peter and, the, and the rest of them. He prepared food for them. You see, that's why we have to eat good food. Because the proof that Jesus Christ is alive and he is the Christ is that he showed it by eating good food. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Bible says he satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like that of an eagle. It's a proof. No wonder they were breaking bread all over the place. I was looking outside to see whether we were going to break, break bread. <laughs> I'm just wondering where this inspiration came from. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know one of the things that irk me? When I hear people calling roasted plantain and the coffee broke man. Be- because I'm called coffee. <laughs> and I said, no, this thing is a motivation for me to be big old, for me to be rich. So that one day, with all my millions and my convoy, I'll just come and buy it and say, from today, it's not coffee broke, man. We cancel it in the name of Jesus, with the blood of Jesus. From today, it's coffee rich, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. As part to eat good food. <laughs> yeah. That's our portion. That's our portion. But then he showed himself alive to these people that these same people that were hiding, that had locked themselves in, what came over them? They were willing to take what Jesus was going to say because, look, you, you have embodied the thing. One, I saw a skit recently where they said, uh, it, in the mind of atheists, you know, atheists tried to you know, make nothing of the resurrection of Jesus. And they said that it's as if in the, and they played the skit. I wish I would find that skit again. They played a skit, and then it was after the, the night when Jesus died, the disciples had gathered by fire. And then one of them, I don't know who it was, but I'm suspecting it might be Peter. He was, he was saying that, so you know what? Now that Jesus is dead, you know what we are going to do? We are going to steal the body from the grave because he's not, he's not going to arise. We are going to steal the Then the rest of them shouted, hey! He said, we'll go and steal the body from the grave. And we will go into the temple and we will start preaching that he's arise. And they say, yay, they were shouting. He is risen, yay, they were shouting. Then he said that, and when we preach, they will arrest us and put us in prison. Then the other said, yay, and one of them said, ah, wait. Oh. <laughs> they will arrest us and put us where? <laughs> so yes, they will arrest us and put us in prison. And he said, ah. Then he said, and some of us, they will cut off our heads. And they shouted, yay. And this guy was like, ah, they will cut off our heads for what? <laughs> if this is what we, this is not what we bargained for. You know? But that goes to say that they couldn't have died for a lie. They couldn't have given their lives for a lie. They couldn't have done that. People that had families. People that were born from wealthy homes. They couldn't have done that. That means they knew what they had encountered. They had, res- they had encountered the risen Christ. No wonder Paul, uh, sorry, Peter said that this, to the house of Israel, he says, this same Jesus you crucified, he has been made both Lord and Christ. That means he has assumed his throne. He has been glorified. That is why you are seeing what you are seeing. This same Jesus. When he, he said that, the Bible says, it, it was a sword of the spirit. It pricked their hearts. The same Jesus. So they had so much conviction and so much persuasion because Christ is on the throne. Christ is on the throne. Christ is ruling. Christ is reigning. So there was nothing that could stop them. There, could, there was nothing that would make them turn back. There was nothing. They, they had encountered it. 
And they were willing, they said, look, we have seen you tested with your life. We are willing to stay indoors. If it will take 10 days for the promise of the Holy Ghost, we will do it. We will wait. We will wait at your word. And the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to go out. They were speaking in tongues. And people were hearing different languages. You know, it's not like they were speaking their languages or because there were some people who saw them and they were laughing at them and said, this is why I drank with wine. But they were speaking and the Holy Ghost was communicating into their languages today. Something no language center on the earth can do. And they were so bold. They were so bold. They went and the Bible says they saw the boldness of John. They saw the boldness of Peter. And they knew that, no, the same thing we saw with Jesus in John chapter 7. The same thing we saw in John chapter 7. That this guy that they are looking for, they said, isn't it this guy they are looking for to kill him? How come he's standing here preaching so boldly? The same boldness. And when they arrested them, they troubled them, they whipped them. They, they, you realize what they said? He said, if we should listen to men or God, you people should judge. You people should judge. There was no stopping them. And that's why the gospel has come to us. In fact, in, in Acts chapter 5, the Bible says, when they went, they went out, they were, you know, they went for refueling. When they went out and then they preached, they healed, and they sent for them again. And they arrested them and put them in prison. And they were in prison and they still didn't change their minds. They were there and an angel entered the prison and said, look, you haven't finished, though. come. Let's go <laughs> into the temple. And then they, they pulled, he pulled them out. All the disciples, he pulled all of them out into the temple and says, preach <laughs> preach of the prince of life because he's, he's sitting on the throne. He says, proclaim that there is a new government in town. Proclaim that there is one reigning right now. Proclaim of, of him. There is a new government. So they were, they were screaming and then they, they came, they were confused. Isn't this these people that we locked inside there? Because they went to check the doors, it was locked. Nothing was broken. I don't know what happened to their bodies. But they passed through the, 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 the prison. You see, so that's how we, too, no matter what constraints that they, 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 you know, construct around us, we, too, we won't stop because there is a hindrance. We won't stop because we turn and then the thing hit. We won't stop. Like Pastor was saying the other day, we are moving for, it's not turning left to the right. We are moving. It says we won't stop. They went there and they preached and they arrested them again. And there's something that they said that really hits me so hard. He says, Ought we not to listen to God rather than men? He says, don't we have to obey God rather than men? And it's interesting. In the, in the Greek, the most common word used for obedience is hupakuo. But here he uses a different word. And this word actually means somebody who is persuaded by a ruler or a king. That's the, that's the obedience there. When they said that, don't you know that we ought to listen to God rather than we ought to obey God? That means we have to be persuaded by our new ruler. We have to be persuaded by our king rather than men. So there was no stopping them. There was no inhibition. The king has made a decree. You, you realize that in the, in, in, in the book of Acts, Jesus doesn't negotiate with people. When he says something, it's fine now. You can, you can memma, complain, uh, by the time you finish, you come back to the same point. What he started with, that's where he's still standing. You remember Ananias? He said that, look, I want you to go to one Simon Tanner's house and go and talk to Saul of Tarsus. He said, ah, but we have heard of the evil that this guy has done to the saints. He, he just went on. He says he even has authority from the chief priest and the scribe that anybody who proclaims the name of the Lord should be bound. Can you imagine? He says that he has authority from the chief priest to bind anybody who calls on your authority. Like that was what he was saying. He said they have authority. I don't know if you are hearing it. They have authority from the chief priest to bind anybody who calls on your authority. They have authority to bind anybody who calls on your authority. I think he wasn't hearing what he was saying. 
because he, he, he was putting the authority of the chief priest on the same pedestal of the authority of Christ, the exalted one, the one who sits on the highest throne, the highest rank, the highest title in the universe. That is, that will ever be. When he now he finished his ranting, <laughs> Jesus told him, go thy way. <laughs> he said, go thy way. Because Jesus doesn't bend for anybody. He doesn't turn for anybody. He doesn't bend for anybody. No. So don't, don't make up your mind to make adjustments. If God has told you that thing, it's a verdict from the, the throne room. Don't make up your mind to bend. Don't make up your mind. We are going the full hall. Like we are persuaded, no matter the obstruction, no matter the obstacle, nothing that is arrayed against you, we are going with the, with the ruling of our king. We are going with the ruling of our king. He, you can't change his mind. You see, that, that, that is the atmosphere of Christ. It's an elevated thinking. He says, if you be risen with Christ, set your mind on the things that are above. You see, if, if you want to, you know, if somebody, if, if, let's say, a flying creature wants to kill you, what they have to do is to just pick you up and take you to an atmosphere you, where you can't survive. You see? Where you can, so there are certain things that will die just because of you are carrying it into the atmosphere of Christ. It can't survive there, you know. And sometimes we just, instead of setting our mind on things above, we set our minds on things of the air. So we are being plagued by the things of the air. Instead of elevating the thinking, we are taking it there to an atmosphere, to a stratosphere where you can't survive. One of the things I see at home that humors me is when the crows come around and the dog is barking and is trying to catch. The crows. You know, a, 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 a four-footed beast trying to catch a flying bird. That means if, if the bird is caught, it's a grave mistake. <laughs> Serious mistake. And we have to know this. Because Jesus was talking to the Jews. He said, I'm from above. You are from beneath. He, he said it plainly. He said, I'm from above. You are from beneath. We are not on the same level. We are not so, some of the challenges we just need to elevate to where we belong. Because the reality that you are, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places is a reality in your spirit. You see, and he is enjoining us to take our minds there. And when we meditate, we just plug our minds to that, that high realm. And no matter what skirmishes they are doing on the ground, you are not moved, you are not faced. You are not faced. Because it's an atmosphere. It's an atmosphere of dominion over death, an atmosphere of dominion over sickness, an atmosphere where is resurrection life. He said it was impossible for the pains of death to hold Christ. It was impossible. They couldn't keep him bound. That's what, that's the conclusion Peter came to. He said, for it was impossible that the pains of death could have held him. So it's not like when God sent Jesus, he was gambling. It wasn't a gamble as far as God was concerned. So faith is not a gamble. It's not like, oh, maybe, maybe not. It is impossible. And you know, when you read the next verse, it says, he says, it is impossible for death to hold him. And he says, for David saith. That means because the scripture has said it, not even because I have seen it all, because the scripture has said it, it was impossible. The reason why we were on the road to Emmaus and we were wondering that, ah, we thought this was the one, the Messiah that was going to, you know, resurrect and then deliver us. The reason, he said, they didn't know the scriptures. So Jesus had to take them to Moses and the prophets. But by the time, oh, thank you, Jesus. The Bible says, Jesus blew on the disciples. He says, receive the Holy Ghost. And what he was doing was that the commandments that he was going to communicate to them by the Holy Ghost, they needed the Holy Spirit to receive it. So now when they received it, you realize that in Acts chapter 1, everything that you are going to do, even appointing somebody to replace Judas, we need to consult the scriptures. The scriptures had come alive to them. It had come alive to them. So he says that, look, we know for a fact that it, was, it, it, was imp- it wasn't a gamble. It was impossible for Jesus to have remained in the grave. Why? Because David has said it. It is written. It was impossible. And so that, that, 
time will not allow me. I wanted us to talk about the spirit of Christ. But when you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, he talks about the spirit of Christ that was in the prophets of old who spoke about the graces that we are experiencing. He says the spirit of Christ, they were searching to see the times, the seasons in which the things that the salvation that we spoke, they were speaking about was going to manifest. They were talking about that. And you know what happened? He said they spoke of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Spoke of the sufferings of Christ and the glory. So when we talk about the spirit of Christ, when we are dealing with the spirit of Christ, it is the, it is the life of the scriptures, life from the scriptures. It is the spirit of the scriptures. You see, the spirit, because the, the prophets, the Bible says that the prophets, they prophesy, you know, they were, they, were, they were searching and looking into these things. The things that they spoke about. The things that we read in Isaiah 53. The things that we read in Psalm 22. Because Jesus knew this, when he was even suffering, he was quoting Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, was suff- he knew that the scriptures had to come to pass. So he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Psalm 31. He was just quoting the scripture. Because even in this suffering, there is glory that must accompany it. So he said, ought not the Christ to have suffered and enter into his glory? Because they didn't understand it, he took them to a Bible class for seven miles. I've I've ordered for that tape when I get to heaven. For seven miles, he was just expounding the scriptures. Expounding the scriptures. That because of this, it was impossible. I want you to know that what the scriptures have said about your life, you have to, he says, ought not. Those are the odds of your life. Those are the musts of your life. Those are the necessities of your life. That's the approach we need to have for the scriptures. Because if it has said it, ought not. That is what must happen. So when you are engaging prayer, you have the, 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 the files. You have the testament. You have the witness of the things that must happen concerning my life. That's what the scriptures are there for. He says, ought not these things to have happened? He said that's what they were looking into. They spoke it. The Bible says that the prophecy came not of private interpretation. You know, but the Bible says they, they spoke these things as they were moved, as they were carried by the Holy Ghost. They spoke these things as they were carried by the... Do you, do you understand that? They didn't just get up to, to speak. It wasn't by private interpretation. Something moved them. The word actually means to carry by a wind. They were, the prophets were carried by a wind. And they wrote the things that they, that means when you two read it and you imbibe it, that same spirit will carry you into the glory that the word says. To carry you. They were carried by it. It doesn't matter whether you are put in a pit, whether you are put in a hole, the scripture will carry you out of it. To carry you into the glory. It will carry you into the glory. He says, all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is the breath of God. All scripture is God breathe. Theonustos. All scripture. So scripture is not something we joke with. I was amazed when I found out people use uh, pages of the scripture even to smoke. Because they don't, they don't know. It's life. The Bible says scripture is the breath of God. So when you are reading scripture, you are reading the breath of God. Is God breathed? Is God breathed? Is God breathed? Paul used the word when he talked about breathing. Maybe this is the last thing I'll say. And then the word you use for breathing is to blow air or the movement of air. And when you are playing an instrument, what you do, like trumpets and all those wind instruments, you blow air into it to produce a sound. So when we talk about the scriptures being God-breathed, God breathed into these people to produce the sound on God's heart. That's what the scriptures are. That's the scriptures. He, they were producing the sounds that were on his heart. In fact, the same word means to emit a fragrance. To emit a fragrance. The blowing that God breathed it means to emit a fragrance. That means in the scriptures, this fragrance that we are talking about, this unction, this anointing that we are talking about, how it finds expression in your life so that you are walking and you are smelling like Christ. You carry the fragrance of Christ. He says it is in the scriptures. The freak, so the, 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 the scriptures carry the perfume of Christ. It carries the perfume of Christ. And it carries the emotions and the heart of Christ. 
So he says, God breathed. God breathed the scriptures. God breathed. So if you are suffocating, if you are, you are, you are dying, if you are suffering, you need to inhale the scriptures. It's there for you to inhale. That's why I said man shall not live by bread. Man shall live by everywhere. That what is in there is what you live by. So you are suffocating. It's like it's hard. But you take the scriptures and you see that life is coming into your lungs. Comes in. That is when you can now, even in the midst of pain and trouble, you can praise God. Because the Bible says that let him that has breath, everything that has breath, let it praise. You find it in the scriptures. Let it, let it praise God. Everything that has breath, let it praise God. And you know what the breath does? If you trap breath into a container, the molecules of the breath in that container is a reflection of the person who released it. So if you take the word, the molecules of God is what you are installing inside you. That's what's happening. And if you look at a balloon, for example, it is lifeless when it's lying down, but when you blow air into it, it takes shape. So if Christ will be formed in you, if you will take the shape of Christ, it is the scriptures, oh, it's the scriptures, the scriptures. We need to exalt the scriptures because there is even an attack on the scriptures. We need to exalt it. it says even that you, you will take shape. So right, it doesn't look like just give yourself to the scripture and let life come into your lungs. Let life come into your being and live again and live. That's the scriptures. That's the breath of God, the life of God. He said he breathed into man and he became a living being, a living soul. So it doesn't matter how dire it is. If it will rise up again, it is from the scriptures. He says all scripture is inspired by God. It's the breath of God, the life of God. So you won't die. If you are suffocating, just find the word. And you will see that life has come into your being again. You will see that you are on your feet again. You are on your feet again. Because that is what the Christ is doing. He is emitting life. He is emitting. That's what they understood when he said he is now the Lord and the Christ. They, they had a sense of the perfume of his authority. Because the Bible says that the, the ointment, the, the virgins love the name of the ointment. The ointments are poured forth and the virgins love thee. They, they carry the authority of Christ when they understood this. And so when, whenever you encounter the disciples in the book of Acts, they have the name on their mind. They have the name. So when you ask Peter, what do you have to give? I might not have silver, I might not have gold, but I have been elevated. I have, been as, I have ascended with Christ. And the Bible says, at the gates called beautiful. God was painting, the Holy Spirit was painting a very beautiful picture there. Because from the throne of God and of the Christ, the Bible says there's a river of life that flows. From the temple in Ezekiel chapter 47. There is water that flows from the temple. And this man was sitting at the gate called beautiful. So God was painting a certain picture. That the life that flows from the temple through its gates was flowing to this man who, who was over 40 years and hadn't walked. It was flowing through there. And the image of the temple was now Peter who came with the Christ enthroned in him. So that the life out of his belly will flow that river of life. And guess what? In Ezekiel 47, the first place that, the, the, when the angel measured, the first place they measured was the ankles. The Bible says his ankle bones received strength. Peter was carrying his strength. With this Christ then, oh my goodness. So the Bible says be strong in the Lord. We carry strength though. We carry strength. We can't understand these things and then be, be sorrowful and, and be sad. He says, you have anointed him with the oil of gladness above your fellows. You, you can't be sad. If you, don't, if you are sad, then you, have, you don't have insight and revelation. And this insight and revelation should give you a certain, it should paint a certain picture in your imagination and your thinking. That will never make you morose. That will never make you cower. That because, because the atmosphere of Christ doesn't bow to anything but the word of Christ. It doesn't submit to anything. Doesn't matter what chief priests are saying, doesn't matter what family members are saying, if it is the verdict of that is the only thing we respect. Thank you, Jesus. Oh. I want us to just bless the name of the Lord. I want us to just thank him. 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 We carry a certain fragrance. We carry a certain fragrance of Christ. You are, you are not an ordinary person, no. We carry a certain fragrance. He said, now thanks be unto God, who always causes us to triumph in Christ 
and makes manifest the savor of his knowledge, the perfume, the anointing of his knowledge by us in every place. He says, we are a savor unto God. We are a savor unto them that perish. We are a savor of death. Unto them that are saved, we are a savor of life. A savor of life unto life and a savor of death unto death. Do, do you know what that means? It means there are things about your life that will, if anybody tries, it's de- they are looking for their death. The same way a bee brings sweetness to its owner, it can sting someone. So the same thing that is sweet and nice, if anybody tries, he says, touch not my anointed. You do it at your own demise. And you are that anointed. The spirit of God is enthroned in you. Settled in you to reign and rule with you. So let your mind be on this one who is inside you. The Holy Spirit. He is the one we take instructions from. He is the one we take verdicts from. He is the one that rules and reigns in our lives. We give you glory, Jesus. We give you glory. Give you glory. We give you glory. We give you praise. We give you praise, Jesus. We give you praise. The truth of your word. The truth of your word. We commit to 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 your word. The glory of Christ finds manifestation in my life. Christ in me is the hope of glory. The hope of glory. The hope of glory. In the name of Jesus. We believe you've been blessed. For further inquiries, contact Kingdom Expression Ministries Worldwide on 0201-300-400 or visit our website www.kingdomexpression.org. Follow us on social media at Kingdom Expression. You can locate us at South Oyarifa, 300 meters from the Ankunam Junction.